I, um, I've been looking back over, over my ministry. That's one of the things about going on spiritual retreat. You, um, I so take some time to look back over my ministry and the things that went really well or the things that I want to learn from that didn't go so well. Um, and so that I can continue to grow and um, deepen in my relationship with God and be a better pastor moving, moving forward. And as I was doing that, I remembered, uh, and I can't believe it was 10 years ago, <laughs> the bishop invited me and sponsored me to attend uh, Princeton Theological Seminary's Preaching Institute. And they have this every year, and it's a pretty cool program, actually. They have um, a guest uh, teacher who comes in, and every day you have a seminar. And that year it was on Job. And I bought this guy's book, and it's like a 1,000 pages, and it's only half of the book of Job. He hadn't published the second volume yet on, on the book of Job. Okay, just making sure. Um, Anyway, and then we have lots of little classes that you can take, and I took one on um, voice modulation, so it's like things at that level, as well as multicultural uh, worship design and things like that. So uh, the clergy who are invited to attend come from a wide variety of Christian backgrounds. Uh, Princeton is actually a Presbyterian seminary, and so, of course, there were Presbyterian pastors there and American Baptists and Lutherans and folks who are part of non-denominational churches, independent churches. And, of course, obviously, uh, I was there, United Methodists. And I was chatting one day with a Presbyterian colleague, and we were really trying to understand one another's theology um, because I, I struggle sometimes with Calvin. And um, she said, yeah, so do I, <laughs> which, was, <laughs> which was helpful. Um, and we wanted to get to the core of our faith traditions and, and trying to understand one another a little bit better. And I, uh, I use something that I teach in my new member classes that I believe the core of Methodism is balance. If you wanted to boil it down to one word, it's about balance. John Wesley centered, his teaching centered around the balance of personal holiness and social holiness, a balance of tradition and reason. God gave you a brain, you better use it, right? Um, a balance of word and action. Wesley taught that we must practice what we preach, but when we act, we do so with the foundation of scripture beneath our feet. United Methodism is known worldwide for its focus on a balance of deep personal relationships with God and a deep commitment to justice, to social justice and action. So John Wesley believed that personal and social holiness go hand in hand. You can't actually have one without the other. You, um, you cannot be personally holy if you are not engaged if you're only doing it by yourself if you're not engaged in the social world and making a difference in the world then you are really not very a not a very holy or faithful person 
And if you are engaging in the world, but you're not doing so with the foundation of scripture underneath your feet, and you're not in conversation with other Christians and making sure that you're um, you know, having other people's input, making sure you're acting within God's, uh, God's will, then you're not really doing true justice, uh, not social holiness anyway. Our lives are filled with the grace of God, and we respond to that grace by devoting our lives to the love of God, of self, and of our neighbor. Conversely, and Lloyd and I were having this conversation a few weeks ago, sometimes reaching out to a neighbor in need is the very thing that connects us to God. Um, I just noticed we have a friend, I think, trying to come in through Fellowship Hall door. Would, would, um, Charlie, would you mind going down? And Sorry, I just, he caught my, caught my eye. Thank you, Charlie. <clears throat> Where was I? Okay, so um, all of the, the different ways that we experience God in our life, John Wesley called these means of grace, right? Uh, ways that we can deepen our relationship with God. Now, there are six instituted means of grace, and that's just a fancy word for saying that they're in the Bible. <laughs> um, and they are searching the scriptures, prayer, excuse me, fasting, Christian conferencing, worship, and the Lord's Supper. And we have some pretty special Sundays coming up in the next six weeks. So we might skip one, we might come back to these means of grace, but my intention is that by the end of May, we'll have talked about all six of those, um, of those means of grace. Now, he also, John Wesley, would also want us to know that the means are not the end. So the purpose is not to be the most holy person by celebrating communion every single month, or he would say week, or as often as you could get it. Um, that's not what makes you holy, right? But in the practicing of communion, when you experience God, it's the experience that transforms you, that changes you. Now, um, I thought we should start with searching the scriptures. If scripture is supposed to be our foundation, so let's start with the beginning, at the beginning, right? And I also thought this was a good one because the bishop has set forth at the beginning of the year when she started the challenge to read the Bible through in one year. And I know at least three people, and I won't point I was going to point, but I won't point them out. I know at least three people who have taken on that challenge and have started. And I'll let them let you know where they are so far in their, in their journeys. Um, you should also know the Bartlett Church took this on as a challenge. And so all of them purchased, we, the church purchased a book for them. And they're using that to guide them through the Bible. So they're also going through the Bible in a year. So what is the Bible, that depends on who you ask. Rachel Held Evans, who wrote the book that we're going to be using for our book study in May, she wrote, and gosh, this sounds like another start of a Steve joke. Sorry, Steve. 
She wrote, a Catholic monk, an Orthodox priest, an evangelical pastor, and a reform rabbi. Ask them how many books are in the Bible, and you're going to get four different answers. Because all of these various traditions sort their books in different ways. Scripture consists of stories and poems, proverbs and letters, laws, genealogies, parables, and a whole host of other genres that can be really difficult to categorize, especially because they emerge from a culture so different and so far removed from our own. Because of all this, she says, the Bible makes a lousy owner's manual. (laughs) It fails massively at getting to the point. Have you ever read through um, some of the epistles and it just feels like Paul is repeating himself or like going around in circles? He can hardly ever just get to the point. She continues, the Bible isn't some magic eight ball you can consult when deciding whether to take a job or break up with someone, nor is it a position paper elucidating God's opinion on various social, theological, and political issues. While we may wish for a clear text, that is not what God gave us. Instead, God gave us a cacophony of voices and perspectives, all in conversation with one another, representing the breadth and depth of the human experience in all its complexities and contradictions. In other words, life isn't simple, neither is the Bible. Searching the scriptures, that phrase might sound kind of old-fashioned to us. It might sound a little bit like we're pirates searching for buried treasure. But that's exactly what John Wesley had in mind when he taught us how to approach the Bible. Reading the Bible is about searching for treasure. Treasure that will transform our hearts and our lives On the front of your um, bulletins, I put the quote from Matthew, um, knock and the door shall be opened, right? Seek and you shall find. Seek, search, look. You're not going to find if you don't go looking for something, right? When we sit down to read the Bible, we want to make sure that we leave no stone unturned. We expect to encounter the living God. We're looking for life-changing guidance. Now, Wesley did not understand the Bible to be the infallible word of God. In fact, at that period of time, Anglicans never used the phrase word of God to describe the Bible. In, uh, In their confession, they taught that the Bible reveals the word of God. So they never read it literally, knowing that that was not the intention. It was not written to be read literally. Now, Wesley was a very well-read man, and he learned from Eastern Orthodoxy as well as all kinds of other European Christian churches, the Moravians, 
how many in the class remember the word Moravian? Oh, yay, I get one hand. I know, there's a lot that I taught. Um, and he learned a lot from world religions. And Wesley never actually preached a sermon just about the Bible. He, he's not doing what I'm, he never did what I'm doing today. But he did teach about how we should search the scriptures. You know how in the front of our hymnals we have the rules for singing? Do you remember reading those? What's your favorite one? What's my favorite one? Sing lustily. Those are two different ones. Sing lustily and with great courage and do not bawl. <laughs> That's another good one. Well, just like he had rules for singing, he had rules for how you read scripture. And Elaine Heath, who I got to meet a few years ago, uh, she summarized Wesley's lessons in this way. She says, first, the reader should set aside time morning and evening every day habitually, to read a full chapter each from both the Old and the New Testaments. But if there is not time for two chapters, John was a very practical theologian, if there's not time for two chapters, the reader should select one chapter. Or if there's not time for one chapter, do you see where I'm going here? Pick a portion of one chapter. The purpose for Wesley was not to get through the Bible in a whole year. It was to make a habit, a practice. Every morning, every evening, I open my Bible, I search the scripture, I look for something of God. The goal is that one purpose, to know and do the will of God. So it's not about just knowing it up here. You can have the whole Bible memorized, but if it doesn't change what you do out there, it's useless. Because the goal is always Christian formation. Wesley urges readers to keep in mind at all times the basic themes and doctrines of the Christian faith as your interpretive lenses. We all approach scripture with our own lenses. And he's saying, make sure you put on the glasses that remind you of God's love and God's hope and God's purpose, God's will. You pray for the Holy Spirit to illumine your mind to receive spiritual understanding of the text. Something that does not happen automatically. Isn't that nice to know that John Wesley could read the Bible and it wasn't going to happen automatically that he understood what he read. How many times have you gone to the Bible and been like, what the heck is this about? Thank you, right? We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to help us, to intercede for us. When reading, one should move slowly through the passage, pausing to reflect. This is why if you don't have time for a whole chapter, just pick a portion because you're not reading it for the sake of reading it, you're reading it to get something out of it, right? So give yourself time for reflection, for self-examination. Sometimes scripture is comforting, sometimes it's challenging, sometimes it convinces you of the need for change. And then you put into practice any guidance or instruction that you learn from your from your habit. Now sometimes, I will be honest, when we approach scripture, 
we don't seem to notice anything that speaks to us. We may not feel anything. We may not feel drawn to an image or an idea in the text. There are times when we read the Bible and despite our best intentions, it just seems dry, especially the genealogies. Oh my gosh. Does it really matter who begat who? Well, it did to Matthew, right? It's bound to happen. Pray through it. Keep going. Don't quit. Like with any good habit, it's good for you. (laughs) It'll make, it will make more sense eventually. Or you'll find context in your life at a different point in your life that makes it make sense. Oh, I remember that. Now it makes sense why the genealogy was important for Matthew. Because Rahab was a prostitute and can be linked to Jesus's lineage. Oh. That matters. This is also why Wesley insisted that spiritual maturity could not be attained all by yourself. You need to have a group of folks willing to engage scripture with you, willing to talk it out, ask questions, wrestle with the passages together, give you a different perspective. Hey, you know, that didn't make sense to me either until this happened. And now... I kind of see where they're coming from. I don't agree with it, but maybe I see where they're coming from. While we might like to think that the Bible is a black and white manual filled with answers to all of our deepest questions, it's actually full of contradictions. It reflects the reality that we do not live in a black and white world. Just look at the complexity of the Psalms and the full range of human emotions contained therein. The reason the Bible is still is called a living and breathing book, right? The reason that it has withstood the test of time is precisely because it avoids simplistic solutions to complex problems. Held Evans says, it's almost as though God trusts us, trusts us to approach scripture with wisdom, to use discernment as we read and interpret, and to remain open to other points of view. Well, go figure. God wants us to approach scripture with an open mind and an open heart. The end goal in searching the scriptures as Connie read to us from 1 Peter, is to love one another deeply from the heart because we have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. The only one referred to as the word of God is Jesus our Christ, the living word who came to be among us. Now, perhaps reading through the Bible in one year is not for you, but we can all set aside 10 or 15 minutes every day, twice a day, to ask God to open our hearts to a message, to read one chapter, or just to write down things that come to mind, other stories that it reminds you of, questions that come up, feelings that are evoked, and then pray. Pray for some revelation, for some unveiling 
that will help you to live the overall message of love and hope that God has for all of creation. The more familiar you become with the Bible, the more connections you'll be able to make in your life. And when you come back to a passage that you've already read, just like a favorite book that you pick up again and again, or a poem that you've read umpteen million times, something new can be brought to light simply because of what's going on in your life right now. And I encourage you to read this book by Rachel Held Evans, Inspired. Maybe join our discussion group starting on May 2nd, a little plug, um, because the purpose of the book is to help you fall in love with the Bible again. Now, Reverend Dr. Paul Chilcote wrote a book um, called Praying in the Wesleyan Spirit, and I take it with me when I go, whenever I go on retreat. In it are 52 prayers. Uh, each is based on a sermon by John Wesley. And it starts with a scripture passage that Wesley um, quoted or cited in that sermon. And it ends with a hymn. So you have scripture, you have the prayer, and then you have a hymn. And uh, there is one for Wesley's sermon on the means of grace. Note that we, I am giving you basically four sermons that he gave in one. So aren't you glad you don't have to sit through an hour and a half sermon? <laughs> um, but in the, each, each week, I thought what I would do is read an excerpt of that prayer for you at the end of the sermon. So we would pray together, uh, or be in the spirit of prayer, and I'd give you a piece of the prayer. And then on Mother's Day, when we conclude the sermon series, when we have communion together, I will put the whole prayer in your bulletins, and we'll pray the prayer together in its entirety. So will you join me now in the spirit of prayer? Gracious and loving God, you seek us all and meet us in so many ways because you long to share your love with everything and everyone you have created. We all need a vital inward religion, a living relationship with you, but we also know that you reach out to us and sustain us in your love in outward ways. The places you have promised to meet us as your friends and children, the means of grace, in these gifts, these sign acts of your love, you offer yourself to us anew. Lord, help us to wait for you in searching the scriptures. As we hear, read, and meditate upon your word, confirm your truth, increase our wisdom, empower us to share the fullness of Christ. Establish in our lives a consistent pattern that moves from hearing, reading, and meditating upon your word to communicating our deepest feelings and needs to you in prayer to enjoying the presence of your company and companioning in our fellowship around your table. You come to us, gracious God, in so many ways to bless us and to make us whole and to show us your love. Amen.